Thanks so much, Wayne. If you're a King's kid, you can head out to King's Kids upstairs. And if you would like to listen to the sermon in Spanish, you can dial in to our number, which is on the screen or was on the screen. And we are going to continue our study through Hebrews. And the good thing is we're, we're, we're outside of Hebrews chapter 7, which was real hard with Melchizedek. Um, but, but our writer is sort of building up the momentum here. He's, he's, you know, he's putting a Jenga thing together. You know, is that like, like a big, one thing is piling on the next, on the next, and they're all dependent upon each other. So if you go to Hebrews 8, we're going to hit the whole chapter. It's only 13 verses. Um, but it's, it's unique in that our Old Testament reading is actually part of our New Testament text. And so what uh, Wayne just read in Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, is the promise of the new covenant back during the time of Jeremiah. Okay, that was during the exile, the Babylonian exile, when Jeremiah wrote, uh, wrote that. And so the is- Israel was in a, a very uh, difficult situation. Jeremiah was encouraging them to turn back to God. And yet, when, when, they, when any time they turned away from God, God would always deal with them, but then in his loving kindness and graciousness, he would always come back with a promise that even though they were knuckleheads and they did the wrong thing and they keep going back and back the wrong way, he's going to deliver them despite their sinfulness. And here he's pointing to the future, talking about a new covenant. In the old covenant, talking about a new covenant. So I'm really looking forward to getting into that today. And again, so just a quick review. The cool thing is the first five or six, six verses actually, are, are an introduction because it's a review of everything that we just went through in chapter 7 and before. So let me just jump in. Verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 1. Now, the main point in what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens, a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched not man. So I'm going to stop there, just give you a little commentary. So he's talking about, remember, he's talking about Jesus ascending to the title of high priest, excuse me, after his resurrection, after his ascension, he gets, he's, he's put in that position as king. He's also put in that position as ultimate, I guess you could say, mediator, our high priest who forever mediates in the throne of God. Not like the old priests, as we're going to see. Not old meaning age, but old from the old covenant. This is a one-time sacrifice that completely wipes out in one swift punch all the requirements of the law that were bound to us because of the holiness of God. God, Jesus, fulfilled it for us. So therefore, we don't have to have to live up to the Old Testament law in order to have this relationship or fellowship with God. Why? Number one, that's impossible. It never was meant to do that. It was always pointing to where we're at in this very moment in our lives and in this very moment in this text. Jesus in the heavenlies. He is at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in in the heavens, a minister in in the tabernacle. So let's go to verse three. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Now, this should sound so familiar that you should be hearing this going, please, no more. 
No more. We already know, Pat, please. But again, the writer sees it fit to keep drilling this in. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. So it's necessary that this high priest, Jesus, also have something to offer, which was his body. And, of course, his blood. Now, if he were on earth, Jesus, he would not be a priest at all. He wouldn't qualify. Why? Because he wasn't of the line of Aaron. He wasn't a Levitical priest. He wasn't of the tribe of Levi. So that was eliminated. He could not be a priest at all. Since there are those who offer the gifts according to the Old Testament law, which serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things, Just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle, for see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by which, I'm sorry, by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, enacted on better principles. Now we talked about this before. Remember, the law was the shadow. Shadow meaning a a, a reflection I would say a dim reflection of what's going on in the heavenlies. Now, why do I say a dim reflection? First of all, Moses was not shown the tabernacle, meaning the temple. He wasn't shown the glorious, glorious, glorious uh, temple of Solomon. He wasn't shown uh, anything but what's the real, real thing up in heaven. In heaven is the presence and throne of God, the real temple of God, God's dwelling place. Moses was able to see that, as we see here in in verse 5. But he didn't turn around and make a a big, huge temple. What did he make? He made the tabernacle in the wilderness out of natural things, just a basic, basic copy. So that is the ultimate prototype of what's going to happen, the the ultimate type of what's going to happen in the heavenlies when where God is. So this is a picture of that. Why am I going off? Just to reiterate that what was on earth is only a copy, and what is real, not real meaning reality, but the real thing in heaven is the temple of God with Jesus Christ as their high priest continually ministering and mediating for us back and forth to the Lord and to us continually, perpetually, on autopilot, okay? And so that allows us to be able to draw near. But this new covenant, very, very unique, This new covenant is better than the first covenant. It's enacted on better promises. So, first of all, what is a covenant? What is that? I mean, we've talked, when we went through the Gospel of John, we talked about this word covenant. We talked about, um, you know, basically it being a contract between two people. And so most times it's with two parties, although God could, could like, he swears certain things and he's going to do it. But this, a real legitimate contract is there because it, it need, there needs to be a legal statement on the relationship between these two parties. The legal statement has to be between both parties and they both have to agree. And so God made the old covenant with the people of Israel, the Mosaic Covenant, and they were to obey it. We're going to talk a little bit about that in a second. The new covenant that he is now giving us is also uh, between two parties, but it's God enacting on both sides. 
So God not only is acting on his side by giving us, as we read, giving us the Holy Spirit, giving us the laws in in our hearts and in our minds and all that, and then he acts on our side by sending Jesus as our Savior to, so that way he could represent us, the human race, and pay for our sins so that way we can be reconciled with God. So God is a covenant God. He always deals with this legality. It doesn't mean that God is some you know, stuffy attorney in some office. You know, and that's how he's dealing with things. It's just that justice... Is, and righteousness are the foundation of his throne. So he always does things perfectly right. And it's also a testament to what he has done. And so this covenant says here that he would affect okay, a new covenant. Look what it says here in verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. Finding fault with them meaning with the Israelites, he says, now finding fault with them, it wasn't that he was going, oh man, you guys are just never getting it right. I need to come up with a new covenant. No, he's saying finding fault with them, meaning they were sinners. There was nothing wrong with the old covenant. It was good, holy, and perfect. What was wrong was the old covenant people. They were unable to be who God had called them to be. And every single one of us in here needs to face that. You are not able to be who God has called you to be in your own strength. You are not able to do it. If you were able to do it, like someone said in Sunday Bible study this morning, God wouldn't have had to die on the he wouldn't, Jesus would not have to have died on that cross. Let alone the brutal death that his blood for his the, the bloody brutal death that he went through, if we were able to do this. Any other way. So he found fault, not with the covenant, not with, oh, I made a mistake. It was the heart of the people. And each one of us has to come to God and say, God, I know what you've called me to be. You've called me to be holy and right and just and to love. You've called me to trust. God, you've called me to pastor. God, you've called me to parent. God, you've called me and whatever it is. But God, I can't do it. I can't do it in my own strength. So it, don't look at the Israelites and go, oh, man, they didn't have it. You know, we, at least we weren't as bad as them. No, it would have been us too if we were there. We wouldn't have been able to do it just as much as we're not able to do it now without his help. So he says, I am going to affect a new covenant. What this word affect means, it's unique. It's, it means that it's go, he is going to accomplish a new covenant. It's not that the old was bad and I'm going to make up something even better that will work this time. Nope, this is all part of God's plan. The old covenant had a, had a purpose, and the fulfillment of that old is the new. So that's the foundation there. So what is better covenant meaning on better um, promises? I like the NLT. It says here, But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises for us. Those that, are, that were in this, reading this letter and everyone after that, that is in Christendom, that is for us. So there are major covenants in the Bible. The two major ones, obviously, are the old and the new. 
But the Old Covenant is usually referred to as the Mosaic Covenant, as I mentioned. Now, this was God protecting and preparing a people. This is what the Mosaic Covenant was. Remember, God rescued them out of Egypt, right? When you were saved and you were first rescued out of Egypt, were you discipled by a pastor or a friend or a Christian brother or sister? If they did disciple you, they'd say, I'm pulling you out now. And I'm going to give you what you should do as a Christian to behave like Jesus, to live like Jesus, to allow the Holy Spirit to fill you and allow the Holy Spirit to work through you. Here's what you have to do. And in the beginning, it seems like, okay, I have to read. I have to pray. It's a time of training. God gives us that grace. Typically, we're, we, everything is just so amazing. We see the word like we never have before. And then God starts to get, get us to go deeper. You know, and that's where we typically get the questions and the, and the journey begins. You know, so <clears throat> this old Mosaic Covenant was one, of those, um, was, was one of those things that it looks as if it was just, you know, okay, point, point everybody to Christ. But no, it had a very important structure to identify the people of God and also to show the people of God and to show the world that God's people are different. They're different. They don't do the things that the pagan nations do. So Torah obedience, identity, holiness protection, I like to call it, because we can't go into the presence of God in the Old Testament or we get smoked. Right? So God created the law for us so that we could come to him and at least appease, the sac- do, the sacrifice, do the sacrifices, do the covering until the real thing got here. And so this, this, they were supposed to be the light of the world and ultimately looking towards that new creation, which will be the end or the fulfillment of that new covenant. So, again, not a problem with the covenant, but a big problem with the covenant people. They could not be faithful. Now you have the Noahic covenant as well. Noah, God made a covenant with Noah after he destroyed the earth. He said, I'll never, make, uh, I'll never destroy the earth by water again. Be fruitful and multiply, Noah and his family. And, of course, they gave the rainbow as the sign and symbol of that. We have the Davidic covenant, the covenant to David that there would be always someone from his line, from his lineage, to sit on the throne, and that his kingdom would be an eternal kingdom. And so that's what everybody was waiting for, the the new Davidic king. And Jesus fulfilled that. But the one covenant that underlines all of them in the whole Bible is the Abrahamic covenant. This is the primary covenant that without, no other covenant really makes sense. Because this is a covenant of grace. In chapter 12 of Genesis, the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And in all the families of the earth will be blessed from your seed, from Abraham's seed. And that is a covenant of grace. Abraham was, he was, he was the first Israelite, right? He was a pagan and he's got this promise. And you know Abraham was, you know, he wasn't perfect. A few chapters later, he gives him a sign. He, is, he, he ratifies his covenant with blood. Chapter 17, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be the sign 
of the covenant between me and you. So that's the Old Testament sign is covenant, uh, or circumcision of the Old Testament, of the Old Covenant. The parallel to that in the New oftentimes is looked at as baptism. So you have baptism as sign of the covenant covenant in the New. What else is the sign of the covenant in the New? The Lord's Supper. And Jesus said, this is the covenant of my blood, which was shed for the remission of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. We celebrate the, the Lord's Supper here once, the first Sunday of every month. And so this was, there's these counterparts. So we see all the pieces here, but the underlying promises is that, guess what, Abraham, your people, the people of Israel are going to, for, they're going to go and they're going to be my people. I'm going to take them through all of this. Come out of, the, out of them is going to come a Messiah who is going to be the key feature of the, obviously the key initiator of the New Testament. And those people are going to be building towards the project, the kingdom that Jesus is building for and being used by that. So that's the big, the bigger picture there. So the old covenant and the new. So let me continue to go here and I'll read it and I'll read through this. It says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. Do you still have the scripture up, by the, by the way? Yeah, I do. You do. Okay, good. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So Israel was known as northern Israel and Judah was known as southern Israel. So don't get confused. It's all Israel as a nation. They just separated the two. <clears throat> Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. Now here it is. This is the meat right here. I will put my laws into your mind. What? How's that going to work? There's like 613 or some laws in the Old Testament. You're going to put them in my mind? I will write them on your heart. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. When he said this, a new covenant, he, was, he has made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. So it's very important. What's the, what, looking at this, it's not new content. That's the one thing we have to understand. The new covenant isn't new content. It's not saying, okay, here's this whole new, brand new contract that I'm going to cut with you here. It's not that. As you can see, this is it right here. This is the new covenant that he's going to make. It's basically God doing everything. God is doing everything for us in this new covenant. The new covenant is faultless. How do we know the old is has fault? Well, it's kind of funny that in the very old, the very old covenant that we're talking about, the new covenant again is promised. So God is saying, even in the old, that this isn't the final thing. So he is saying that this new, this is, this is a new content. It's a new manner or reworking of the plan. And now God's law sits holy, satisfied, 
and fulfilled in Christ. In this new in this new covenant, it's all wiped away. There's continuity and discontinuity. What's continuous about it? The same triune God, the same purpose to develop God's people, to move towards that ultimate promise, to move towards Christ coming, to move towards this fulfillment of grace. But the but but the old couldn't do any of that. So what then is the new covenant? Well, what I here's what I what I have here. The new covenant. What does it provide? It provides a vehicle for the fulfillment of the covenant of grace. God has saved you by grace. You did not save yourself. You cannot save yourself. He has saved you by grace. That means there's nothing that you have ever done or there's nothing in you inherently that would ever get God to look at you and say, yes, they don't need forgiveness of sins. No, they're, they're actually pretty good. No, because even if there was one, mis, one little imperfection because of God, who, who God is, and there's so many imperfections in us, that, that just cuts it off. He can't, he can't have fellowship because of who he is. But he so he loves us. And so what does he do? He gives us grace, getting what we don't deserve. And then some. We not only got the wrath of God moved from us, but we also got on top of that grace upon grace. Salvation. Sanctification, meaning becoming more and more and more Christian, more and more and more like God, more and more and more like Christ. You start to see the things of the world as what they usually as what they really are. Just sort of trinkets. And then all of a sudden, as the trinkets are, are getting more clear, the cross is getting more bigger and bigger and bigger, or it's coming closer and closer. And so no matter what, you see in the cross everywhere. That's the grace of God in the new covenant. So it provides this vehicle for the covenant of grace, for this new relationship between God and humans, mediated by Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, the forever eternal high priest. Now you may be saying, okay, so how does one appropriate this new covenant? Well, how does one get in? To the new covenant. Because the covenant is about, it's, it's, I don't mean getting in in terms of salvation, but it is about inclusivity. In other words, once you're in the covenant, you're in the covenant. You don't leave the covenant. Unless you were never in the covenant. And you were acting like you were in the covenant. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to move outside of his hand. He promises that. And so those who have this sincere confession, this is how they get included in that. They have the sincere confession of Christ with their mouth, professing Jesus. Yes, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that God raised him from the dead. So it's this sincere confession with the mouth and believing sincerely from the heart that Jesus was raised from the dead. He doesn't say believe that it's theoretically possible that Jesus could have been raised from the dead. He says, no, you're believing it with your heart. You know. 
You just know. You don't know why you know, but you know you know. Because the Holy Spirit, you know, blew up your mind with it, right? And you're like, I see, I believe. And then all of a sudden you say, well, let me start looking at the evidence. And then you see more and more evidence and evidence and evidence. And then you're like even more secure with it. But I have to just tell you, this is a work of God. A work of God has to come into your heart and make this happen. And when you believe sincerely, you're included. And now you're part of that Abrahamic seed. You're part of that Abrahamic process because you're in Christ. Christ is the seed, capital S, of Abraham. And we, his people, the church, Israel, all that are saved are in Christ in order for us. And, and when we're in Christ, we're in that covenant. That's the it's, they're evidence for each other, if it's true. And again, we, we appropriate God's rule. We are now looking at God, and we're looking at this new covenant, and we're saying, I'm going to implement who I'm supposed to be in Christ. I'm, I'm supposed to trust. I'm supposed to share the gospel. I'm supposed to love God with all my heart. I'm supposed to love my neighbor. And you know what? This is bigger than just me. This is bigger than me. Just be, God has got a big plan here for the whole world. And I'm a part of it. And I didn't deserve it. And I could just keep going on and on and on. And you could too, right? The amazing mercy and love of God in Christ. How do we explain it? You know, we can't. It's only love. That's it. Now, what's so better about the new? As if you haven't already got that. Well, look. It says, for this covenant I will make with them, I will, number one, put my laws into their minds. Put my laws into their minds. For the mind, this is Romans 8, 6, 7. For the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. So what did God just do for us? He went into our, he goes in the new covenant, and he comes into our mind, and he puts his laws in there, so we're thinking about him a lot. And we're thinking about his laws. When we, when we go to take, you know, something from the church, oh yeah, I'm going to grab it. Oh no, I can't, that's stealing. No, I'm just kidding, you don't steal from the church. From your job you steal from. No, I'm just kidding. But you know what? You would take a pencil. You would take a pen of this or that. But when you become saved, you're like, is that right, Lord? I shouldn't be doing that, right? That's stealing. I mean, it really is, right? So you become more sensitized to the things of God. Not desensitized, sensitized. You start to see the things God sees. You start to think the thoughts of God because he put his law in your mind. The other great thing about this is that this is not dependent on genealogy. This isn't dependent on birth or any works or anything other than faith in Christ. We've already talked about this. The spiritual Israel is the true Israel. That's the seed of Abraham through Isaac. So it's not about genealogy. You don't have to worry that you weren't born an Israelite. Don't, you don't have to look at your Jewish brothers and sisters and go, oh, I wish I was one of them. You know, they're going to get this. No, we're all the same in Christ. All the same. What else did he do? Well, you see, the, the new covenant, see, the old covenant sort of laid there as scaffolding, right? It sort of was there, it was set out. The new covenant 
is it penetrates in to our hearts and minds. It comes into us. It's like looking outside of a home and saying, okay, that's the home, but then going inside the home and sitting at the table and eating and fellowshipping and going around. You're inside of it now. There's a difference. It penetrates deep. And it deep penetrates into the mind, but most importantly, it penetrates into the heart. See, the old didn't do that. And this is why it's so important, because when God's law gets into your heart, it's like getting injected with a, with a, with a vaccine. You are that is going to spread in your body. It is going to start destroying that sin, those thoughts. You see, this is the difference. The new covenant is about the Holy Spirit living in you. The Holy Spirit living in you, you can't but help to have him live his way out. Like Jesus said, out of your belly will gush living water. Out of your belly. It's not that you're going to have some big belly that you can push out. Because if that was the case, I'd be really good at that. I could push that out. No, it's him. It's him filling you and just gushing out to others. That's the possible, what makes the new covenant possible. Without the Holy Spirit, that's why the Old Testament... This could have never worked because the Holy Spirit didn't indwell people. It came upon people in the Old Testament. And potentially you could say it indwell or however you want to say it. But not like it does. It was of the order of the Old Testament but in the prophets. But in the New, it's different. Every believer. That's why it says here. It says that I will write. It says they shall not teach everyone his neighbor. Oh, know the Lord. Or everyone his brother. No, they're already going to know me. He's talking about the people of his. He's talking about those that are his. Because they have the Holy Spirit in them. Each one of you. you need. We all need to be taught and instructed here. But you know Christ if you have the Holy Spirit in you. I don't have to tell you about him. You and Jesus have a unique relationship. You have a very, a very, uh, it's a biblical relationship. But there's a uniqueness with each individual that Jesus created you, and as unique as you are created, as unique as your relationship will be with Christ. If you look through the Bible and you see Jesus and all, he had different relationships. It's just amazing how he empathized with people different, you know, one way, and he told people to leave and stop following them, and others, he said, gave them grace and, and helped them follow. He just did all, it was all according to what the person needed. What do you need? This is what you have to ask, because the Holy Spirit wants to change you. See, if you're rejecting that change, that's quenching the Spirit. When you reject the change of the Holy Spirit. And you could reject it by, by just simple disobedience, but you could also reject it by closing your ears and closing your eyes to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so God will, will continue to, to push until you go, okay, and then he wants, because he wants to move you forward. So the best thing I get, we go back, we go back to our beginning, abide. Abide. Because don't start calculating on how you're going to do all this. You're not. You're going to abide. And you're going to say, Lord, change me. Show me, Lord, what I must do. Out of love for you. Because I can't change myself. He gives us the laws in our heart, and then what do we do? We love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. At least we're enabled to do that now. Truly. <clears throat> he is, we are his people. See, this, 
the, the old covenant, you didn't know who God's people were. You knew, the, you knew the commonwealth of Israel, the visible Israel. You saw that. But we didn't know who, who was saved, who wasn't saved. How could we tell who has faith, who doesn't have faith? And, and how is it? It's not by obedience that they were saved in the Old Testament. It wasn't like works in the Old Testament and now grace in the New. It was a different administration, but it was always grace. It was always faith. And so here, we are his people. We are his people. What does this mean? We are his people. They will, it says here, I will write them. He's going to write the laws on their hearts. And then I will be their God and they will be my people. It's a picture of a mutual love relationship here. Okay, so it is mutual. But it does, and it is Jesus that does all this. He's the mediator of that covenant. He puts the laws in our hearts. He makes the covenant. He does it all. But we are required. We have a responsibility in this covenant. We have a responsibility to God. It's called allegiance. You have to have allegiance to Christ in this through faith. Faith, surrender, allegiance. Faith, surrender, belief. It's just gonna, it's it's gonna be that, it's gonna be a part of your or it's gonna be an organic part of your life. All of us can know him without discrimination. Do you know that in the old testament it was just the people of Israel? They were the people of God. Unless you converted and became a proselyte and you came in and, and there were different laws for people that had to do that, but you still would have been not been allowed in the temple and all these other stuff. We are the people of God. And without discrimination, those people come from every tongue, tribe, nation, and language. It doesn't matter about color. It doesn't matter about rich or poor. It doesn't matter about what language you speak. All of them are going, all of his people from every place. That's what it means when it says, go out throughout the whole world. Jesus is, is, is opening up. Jesus has opened up this gospel message. If we really believe this, what, what, if we really believe that this is it, that this is true, that without Christ and without being in this new covenant, there's no other way. Having an urgency to share the gospel with those that we know, those that we come in contact with, those that are in our own home, most importantly, living out the gospel, that's what we have. That's what we have to do with this information and this this wisdom that God has given us, but not on ourselves. We're now to go out and replicate it. And so, what's so good about these is that it means God's grace. God's. I'm sorry. On, on, it, the, the complete difference here is we see the God's grace throughout all of them, but in the new, there's absolutely no requirement other than coming to Christ. So how do we walk as these new covenant people? Well, I'm going to give you four things and then I'll close. Number one, you walk by the grace that's been given to you. You trust in the grace found in Christ. Now, what does that mean? It means you walk as if you know that you know that you know you're forgiven. You walk your walk in your life that you know you're forgiven. 
you know that you're unable to be charged with sin, not because of your good works, but because of the faithfulness of Christ to die for your sins and raise you to a new life that seeks after righteousness. You see, that's what we need to be doing, seeking after righteousness. All of us have different capabilities to do that right now, wherever you're at. You're to use what God has given you to, to maybe said everything is worship. Love it back to God. Deal with others in the same way, with the same grace. Forgive others quickly. The longer you hold on to unforgiveness, the more it turns in and creates bitterness. Jesus said, leave your gift at the altar and go your way. Be reconciled first to your brother. Matthew 5, 23 to 24. Turn from all known sin. Take it to the Lord for the power of the Holy Spirit to empower you to live free of it. Turn from sin and then trust. That's what we were singing about. Trusting in Christ alone. And when we are in his shadow, like we were saying, we're abiding with him, we cannot be shaken. That's what we sang today. We will not be shaken. But we have to turn from that sin and depend fully on the Holy Spirit to overcome and to continue. And you have to keep going. If you don't have victory, you keep going until you get it. So many times people say, oh, I want, I want victory. Oh, I yes, asked God, nothing happened. Well, you better roll up your sleeves. Put some knee pads on. Get on your knees and pray. Because he will move. See, the Hebrews were still being tempted to serve this old covenant and this old life. And it, again, it felt so good. Purging our conscience feels so good. When we do something like we were talking about last week, when you can go to the altar and give a sacrifice, that probably felt good to your flesh. But God wants to get all of that desire out. So I encourage you today to do that. Let go of that old life. It's crucified at the cross with Christ. Nailed. You no longer live. But Christ lives in you. In the life that you now live in the body. If you want a visual, it should be an empty shell. The life I live in this body is an empty shell. Filled with the Spirit of God. Filled with Christ. And now, as Paul said in Galatians uh, 2.20... I live by the faith of the Son of God, the one who died for me, the one who loved me and died for me. So that's the picture. That's the goal, walking by faith. That's what God desires from us so much. He just wants our trust and reliance. He just wants to show us the, the, the contrast as he woos you and draws you by the Holy Spirit. Why don't you make that full commitment? Make that full commitment to Christ. That's what I pray that we all do right now. Father, you know each of us, Lord. You know that what's the remnants of our old life that are hanging around, the cobwebs, Lord, the things, the corners of the room that we haven't cleaned. Lord, I pray that you cleanse us. Cleanse us. Clean us out, Lord. Let's make that commitment, God. We don't make it out of our own boast of our flesh. We make it because of what we just read, this new covenant that you've done it all for us, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would fill us, even right now, that you would, you would cleanse our hearts from sin, fill us with the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.